As we have discussed in more than a few Tech On Demand videos and podcasts, the key to successfully producing high-quality crops often starts at the very beginning. How you and your team approach the earliest stages of germination and propagation sets the stage for uniformity down the line. I'm very happy to welcome back frequent guest, Dr. Will Healy. He thinks about ways to share his knowledge and decades of experience working with growers of all shapes and sizes, and this time, he's going to tackle a tricky one, canna. Be sure to listen all the way to the end because there are some critical tips and tricks at the conclusion. But Will, looking through your slides on canna and revisiting some of the other tech tips we put together for this crop, there seem to be a lot of nuances from the actual seed technology to sowing details and the optimum greenhouse environment. I know Seed Raise Canna was a game changer that helped growers overcome virus issues on vegetative production, but why else do you feel Canna is a critical one to share as part of this video and podcast miniseries? Well, you know, Canna, when you start thinking about um, what is the perfect plant for a mixed container, Cannas are absolutely the best. Taki, when they introduced this particular group of plant materials, the Canovas, um, really had a game changer, as you mentioned earlier, Bill. It is absolutely spectacular. It is highly adaptive to a wide range of environments. It'll tolerate stress in the pot. So, you know, those people who forget to water them, they don't just basically droop over and die like impatience might. You know, so they really just hang in there. I know I've got plants that I've got in my garden um, that are absolutely drop-dead spectacular. And everyone always thinks they're absolutely beautiful. They give you that tropical look, but they're also don't have to be looking tropical when mixed. So it really is a great plant material to have. Um, and it's saleable from a four inch container all the way up to, you know, you know I've seen them in, um, you know, 30 and 40 inch containers and they were just drop dead spectacular. So um, this is a, one of my really favorite plant materials. Um, but I think we need to talk about it because people struggle with this one time and again. Um, and it's expensive um, for a lot of reasons, but it's really easy to get a very uniform tray of cannas if you follow some rules that are, I think when we're going to talk about this, that cannas are really contrarian. So think of them as the contrarian crop because the germination requirements are truly unique and different than anything else we, de we deal with in the industry. So let's just um, talk a little bit about um, what makes them different. Well, first of all, they're monocots. Now, those of you who have with the pointed heads like me that know monocots and dicots and all the plant families and all that kind of good stuff, because you remember all that, those class, do you remember hearing about those in, in class, Bill? I remember hearing about them related to like vegetables and agriculture and corn and cucumbers are, are the two are monocots and dicots or dicots are the cucumbers. Monocots are corn. Yep. And all the bulbs are um, pretty much all um, monocots so that they're really different, two different groups of plant material and they have certain characteristics, which of course I'll bore you with for a moment. Um, you know, the seeds are a little bit different because they have two cotyledons, dicot ledens so that's why they're called dicots because they have two cotyledons um 
and monocots have mono one, one cotyledon. Um, they also have got parallel leaves. So if you're w wondering, Bill, is this a monocot or dicot? Look at the leaves, they're parallel. Um, also the number of petals um, is important. And of course, who knows about the vascular thing? I don't think you're gonna go chopping up um, anything um, to find the vascular system. But if we take a look at it from a seedling standpoint, they're pretty easy to, um, to separate. And it's really important to understand this because in the dicots, you have two cotyledons, so that anytime you see those, and they also, more critically, they have a tap root. Mm -hmm. Basically, that root, as soon as that hypocotyl comes out, the radical, the root, just basically shoots straight down into the ground, and you're good to go. Monocots, on the other hand, um, you know, they throw that single leaf up, that has a little radical, but they end up with a very vigorous branched roots the multiple roots come out so there's not just one there's lots of them and they're all sitting there so it's really important to kind of understand the difference because when they're ready to go they grow fast is that why they're invasive or considered invasive in some regions Oh yeah, yeah, because once you can go and get these cannas established, um, they can become highly invasive um, to tropical environments. That's why um, there's certain countries that actually outlaw hmm. cannas. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, um, we're in the climate in this northern hemisphere where it gets so cold they freeze. Okay. They're tropical. Um, and they're native to tropical Central and South America. Um, so this is where you kind of have to understand um, the good news is they can't because they seldom if ever would become invasive in the US except maybe in very South Florida or parts of California um, just because if the ground freezes they're dead now people do dig them up but that's kind of a whole different hassle it's much easier to get fresh ones I've dug them replanted them but they never perform as well as if they're um, basically allowed to just um, come from seed so What's different about them? Well, for germination purposes, they like it warm and wet. Um, and we're really gonna talk about this whole wet issue quite a bit. Um, but they do like to be warm. They don't, they're part of that warm blooded that we've talked about with begonias and some other crops. Um, for, now, when we talk about them being adaptive, when you grow them on, um, they'll tolerate wet and to dry and hot to cold. So they will, once you can get that seed going, and this is probably a perfect example of once you get the seedling up and running uniformly, they're good to grow under a highly abusive conditions, quite frankly. And that's why we really like them is, is that they're, if you can germinate them, they're cast iron. If you can't germinate them, well, now you got problems. So um, the other thing to think about is this is a big seed. So what I did is I took a, um, a uh, can of seed and I put it onto a dime. And then to give you an idea of the difference in size, down there in the where it says one dime, there's a little red spot, that's mm -hmm. about 10 begonia seeds. So begonias are truly just dust um, compared. And to, so this is a big seed. And Bill, what happens to big seed? Well, I guess it'd be like a rock in the soil. It's gonna, it's gonna come up to the surface, pretty pretty quickly if with water when water's added. Exactly, and that's one of the problems is they float out, and that's why you know in that first picture we saw all those little um, blue seeds sitting there up on the surface, and 
they will germinate eventually, but they're going to be really delayed or they won't germinate at all. Now, to help germination, um, Taki developed a really unique um, process where they laser scarify. So they take a laser and literally just drill a little hole into the edge of the hard seed coat. Because if you don't um, have this hole to let the water get in, then it gives you very ununiform germination. Back in the, when the very first generation of canna seed came out, they didn't scarify it, um, and they didn't have this laser scarification figured out. So what would happen is you'd have to soak the seed. And even soaking the seed gave you very ununiform germination, because some of the seed coat is really hard and very impermeable to water. Because remember, they're native to um, marsh conditions, so you wouldn't want a, a seed that falls into a marsh to basically absorb water too fast. Otherwise, it would basically mold out and rot and not be good. So as an, um, an evolutionary process, they developed this very impermeable um, seed coat. So what they did is they, um, this is what the seed would look like. Um, without scarification. Um, this is where they basically burned a laser hole into it and you can see it's kind of pushed a some of the um, coating that they put into the seed. Um, basically they put a seed coat on there. It's just basically a, a, a surface coat to seal that so that it doesn't absorb moisture until you're ready to sow it. Okay, so that's really the kind of the key to um, that's important. Now the next one is kind of weird, and we're going to talk about this because um, I think if you've listened to the begonias, if you listen to the betunia um, webinars that we've done on germination, what is the one thing that we've said that you shouldn't do? Don't bury it. Right. Now, this is one that you must bury. And that's that whole big seed, floating seed problem where it just floats right out. And also, it is requires wet. Because you do have a hole, you know, other seed, it absorbs moisture through the entire seed coat all the way around. This, you have to get the water in the hole. Now, Bill, if you could, so, if you could find where the um, laser hole is and you could <laughs> bury a laser hole down, that probably would be a good thing, right? Probably, but I don't think you're gonna you're gonna do that with mechanical sewing. No, even by hand sewing, it's impossible because you'll never find the hole because they covered it with the blue with the blue coating, um, and that's what the problem is with um, a seed that floats to the top is that basically that hole ends up not facing the water, so it just doesn't get any water and it um, does never absorbs enough moisture to get germination started. Because remember, the germination conditions is the process where it absorbs water and basically ends when that radical emerges. Once the radical is elongated, the seed is technically germinated. So, um, and this seed um, has a very, very high germination. 90% um, is plus is not uncommon. Um, I've seen trays that are basically at 99%. Um, so some seed lots are incredibly uniform. Sometimes they're a little less, but generally if you sow this correctly and um, get the moisture on it correctly, this seed has the propensity to germinate really well. And so um, when people say, well, it doesn't germinate very well, you know, I'm only getting 60-70%, that's a red flag that they're basically not burying it or they're not getting it wet enough. So let's make sure that we're getting it so that the um, radical can get out as quickly as possible. 
And they have basically, we want to have that synchronized germination. As you see on this um, picture along the bottom, you can see all these little blue seed balls all over the place. Eventually, they will get wet enough. Eventually, they will germinate, hopefully. Um, but notice how ununiform this whole tray is. You've got some where you're going to the second true leaf and some that are still throwing their first true leaf. So you've got this wide range of variability, which of course makes it almost impossible to manage well and also to do your planting and planting um, for the season. As a tropical plant, um, temperature is really important. This is another one of those that you don't want to get cold because you if it gets cold you're going to have slow germ or no germ um, happening so what about temperature we've talked about warm-blooded crops begonias being one that we've talked about cannas pentas vinca these are also all warm-blooded which means that they like to be warm and cozy and cuddly all the time they don't like to have warm and cold experiences so how does that happen well of course canna um, coming from a tropical warm, even at night, 24-7, it is tropical, it is warm, moist, which is important environment, um, is really central to our whole discussion. Because, you know, Bill, you can take the plant out of the country, but you can <laughs> never take the country out of that plant, which means that the conditions it evolved in is critical for its um, habitat to um, be you're basically replacing their habitat to get them to germinate. <clears throat> and of course, in the north, where we're germinating these early in the season, you know, January, December, January is not uncommon for people to sow these so that they can get good-sized plants at the time of sale come May. Um, the water, winter water temperature can be very cold. 40, 50 degrees is not uncommon for water temperature. And also, when you're basically using... Um, the, during the winter period, um, the soil temperature, because of the long night, will tend to drop below the air temperature. So it's very hard to keep the soil temperature up when you basically have um, long winters. So even if you're running, say, 70 degrees um, in the air or even as high as 75 degrees, the soil temperature can be as cold as 65 degrees, which is way too cold to get good uniform um, canna development. So this is where you really have to be sensitive. So we always talk about using tempered water is very critical for uniform germination and early growth. So make sure that you're using tempered water that's 68 to 80 degrees and really avoid temperatures above 80 degrees for your water because that can trigger um, tip abortion. So really think about what is the temperature that is being exposed um, to those plants? So we've talked about germination process so that we need to absorb water, and that's where um, that um, scarified seed is so important. And as the water moves in through that hole, um, basically we start the whole process, and that's really important. And, of course, what process it starts is it starts a starch breakdown so that basically the process starts going and the cells start multiplying, um, and then all of a sudden we get all kinds of growth starting to happen and that's critical that there's good oxygen that's why we need to have these wet dry cycles so that when it's wet you can get a lot of water in it but as you dry um, you get air back in it because the soil that's surrounding it 
And when we bury the seed, it's going to be really important. The soil surrounding that seed is either going to have water or air in the pocket. So in the micropores, macropores, we want to make sure that we're getting air in there also so we do want it to dry. We don't want to be constantly wet because that's going to be a problem. Once that seed coat cracks, basically we get the radical to emerge and then in the case of dicot, which we've talked about a lot in the previous ones, we end up with this tap root um, that comes out. But what's weird about monocots, which we've talked about, and specifically um, cannas, you can see that little white protuberance. That's actually the shoot starting to form um, with um, cannas. What you end up is you still have the seed coat hanging in there, that great big huge blue ball, um, and you can see where it's, the seed is coming out. But notice that you don't have a taproot, you've got this highly branched root system, which is characteristics of a monocot. So basically, once um, it roots out, and it roots down very well, so you really want to make sure that you've got a good soil and that you're getting the fertilizer on them right away um, because you've got lots of roots coming out taking up a lot of nutrients, and you don't want it to be stalled off because you forgot to feed it from the very beginning. So let's um, talk a little bit about soil moisture. Now, Bill, can you imagine trying to sow that giant seed into a 512 tray? Yeah, not going to work. Well, yeah, but you probably want a little bit bigger soil. <clears throat> well, not only that, but it tends to float out, and then you've got, um, and it really starts causing trouble. So Normally, we're growing them in a 50 to 128 cell tray. Um, now, that will have a larger soil volume, and because they have a larger soil volume, they have a higher tray weight. As you can see in the boxes on the bottom, a small plug we've always talked about, um, a level 4 being about 1,400 grams, um, and a level 2 being about 800 grams. Well, with a larger plug, we may see um, an level four being about 1800 grams and a level two being 1200 grams. Now that extra 400 grams reflects both the extra soil and the extra water that's in that soil um, and that's why it's important that um, you review that video that I'm sure Bill you'll have in the trip um, in the in the notes on um, how you calculate water by weight um, and you do it for your different trays so that you're able to um, get your right targets because these this crop if you get the targets right and you maintain the targets this is a no-brainer but if you don't this one is a struggle okay um, always soil moisture you want to make sure it's at level three to level five you want to use um, if you're using a paddle mixer or any kind of mixture you want to make sure that you're getting the moisture on it uniformly you want to use a fogget nozzle or some kind of a spray you do not want to use a single stream because that gives you wet and dry pockets and I can't tell you how many times I see wet and dry pockets and as when we talk about burying the seed dry pockets in the bottom dry pockets within the soil is going to cause havoc with uniformity this is a wet germinator. So at the time of sowing, you need to make sure that you're at a solid level four at the top of the, of the tray and that you lift those trays up and peek at the bottom and make sure that you've got a level five down on the bottom, that you've got a little bit of very shiny, because remember level five, the soil is shiny because there's, you can see the free water. You wanna make sure that you have reached that point after it's been through the water tunnel and sat for a little bit, you know, let it sit for about a half hour and then check, did we get water to the bottom of that cell? Because when we bury the seed, guess where the seed is going to be, Bill? Toward the bottom, where exactly. it tends to be dry. Right. 
And whereas other seeds, so for example, um, petunias, begonias, where's the seed sitting, Bill? Up higher up in that top third, I would imagine. Right. And we don't want to have um, water at the bottom of the cell. So we um, we don't want to have it at level five at the bottom. We want to make sure that there's water where the seed is. And so think of it as where's the seed? Am I at that level four? No dry pockets. Because these have a long crop time and you're not usually sowing very much early in the season, it's very easy to end up with these dry pockets, um, especially in the bottom of the cells. And how that happens, Bill, of course, is because in your soil bin, you've got dry soil that because you basically did some sowing like on Wednesday and to come around to the following Monday and that soil has sat in that bin all on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it sat there for four days drying out. Um, you've got um, soil sitting on the um, edges of the bin and that soil's all fallen in all over the place and that's what gives you dry soil. And that uneven soil directly relates to uneven germination. Because remember, you gotta get, it's not like other seed where you can get this, you know, water somewhere will touch the seed. This has gotta have water where the hole is, right? Where that laser scarification is, is where the water's gotta be. So we need to make sure that we're uniformly moist. Now, let's talk about the weirdest part of canna. And that is, you gotta bury the seed. A lot of people early on basically ran their cedar through, you know, they filled the flats and they ran the um, seed through the cedar and it just dropped it on and then they went and covered it. You know, and that's basically what we've got in this image over here on the um, right hand side. We got the little seed sitting on the top, made a little um, dibble, dropped it in there, awesome, and then we put soil on top of it. Um, and what you see is the picture on the left. That seed floated to the top doesn't take much to get that all to float and you can try vermiculite you can try any number of things nothing works when you do it that way so what we're recommending is that you basically think about one of three different ways to sow the seed I'm sure there's more but this is the way a lot of people have done um, process a option a is basically you half fill the trays now that can be a little squirrely if you got a lot of trays to do um, but some people will go and they'll half fill the tray um, and then they will then throw soil on top, they'll drop the seed in and then throw soil on top of it. That's way, and you wanna make sure that you, you have it at least a third of the soil down below the seed. Do not drop it into the bottom and then cover it. That, that is absolutely wrong because then the seed is sitting in water. Think of it sitting in a swamp. Don't do that. You wanna make sure that that seed has some soil between it and the bottom where the perched water table is. Option B is where they fill the cell full, then they take a dibble, dibbler with a flat tip dibbler, and then they drop the seed down the hole. So you gotta make sure you got big enough dibbles so that, you can, so that that seed freely falls down, and then you basically cover that with soil. Um, and that's really important. Now, what kind of dibble? A lot of people use pointed dibbles, and those do not work because you end up at the bottom um, where you need to make sure that you've got the um, seed sitting flat on the bottom. You got this kind of con this pointed area that tends to fill in and the seed really doesn't get uniformly buried and it's just like don't use a um, pointed dibble, use a flat dibble, just use dowels and then just dibble it and that seems to work the best. Okay. The last way is that they you fill it again just like you normally would. You sow and you push the seed into the flat 
with a flat dimbler so that basically they're just pushing the seed down. And notice that you're still pushing it only down about a uh, two-thirds of the way because you want that soil on the bottom. And you'll see in a minute when we talk about this why is it important that you have that space between the bottom of the cell and the seed itself. This is really important to, um, to have that. Now remember the water tunnel is where all the magic begins. Remember we want to make sure that we have our target weights as we after we come off that um, water tunnel and you want to make sure that you um, basically use um, nozzle number one um, to basically wet the surface and make sure that you glue everything down. Um, you, the other nozzles are used to get the water in there. You want to make sure you're checking that water, the weight, to make sure that you're at there and that you've got your targeted. And keep thinking of canna, wetter is better. Um, that's really kind of unique. Um, and as we've talked in the past, you've got the hydration phase where you go through the wet-dry cycles to get oxygen back in there and then get them back weight up to target weight. Um, and then as we pass through that, you begin to get the cell division. You want to start drying them out a little bit more. And then once we've got the radical um, emerged and the true leaf comes out and the roots are starting to move, then you basically start going through your normal wet-dry cycles, again, pushing, um, getting it wet. Um, and then taking it down dry to basically force air back into the soil to really keep the plant growing vigorously. So from hydration to hypocotyl emergence, basically remember, if you start having level two moisture, it's going to prevent hydration of that seed. And of course, um, if you keep it constantly wet so that at the surface is constantly wet, basically you're gonna start getting um, crust forming, but more critically, Remember what happens within a plug cell, and especially this is when you're using large cells like a 50 tray or even a 100 tray. There's a lot of soil in there, and it's got a very large surface on the bottom. And on the bottom, basically, you have what is called a perched water table. The perched water table is where the water comes down to the bottom and does not leave the bottom of the tray and is being perch water table is being held against gravity. Normally water moves down due to gravity, but when it reaches that point at the bottom of the tray, it basically is saturating. Now, why is that important? It's, it's important because that level four, five at the bottom then ensures that you're gonna have that level four at the seed. Hmm. And that you can have, and this is why we go to three, dry it down to three on the surface, because that's what you can see. And then we make sure we water it up so that we end up with a perched water table. And that's, of course, Bill, how do you check that? You got to pick the tray up and look at the bottom. Take the cell out, look at it. You have to, it's a hands-on approach at that point. Right. And you only have to do that for maybe a week or so um, at most because they germinate quite, if you get the moisture right and everything's right, these things germinate fairly, pretty rapidly. Get the temperature right, you know, everything's right. These things germinate quite rapidly. Um, but if you don't, then all of a sudden you've got a mess. Very um, uneven germination. So um, if we basically recap what we're doing to get uniform um, sowing like we see here, notice how uniform that tray is. I mean, you're not going to find a better looking tray of cannas than what you see right there. And that's really your goal to have absolute uniformity like that. And how did they do that? One, they buried the seed. Do you see any blue seed anywhere on that tray, Bill? Nope, not at all. They had like 100 trays, not a blue seed visible. Keeping it warm. This is warm-blooded. Get that heat to it. Make sure that 
Keep using tempered water so you don't pool that soil, especially critical in that first five to seven days when all the action is starting to move. Make sure that first three to five days that you pick those trays up and you make sure that those bottoms are wet. And of course, why did they um, put the vermiculite on it? The, they put the vermiculite on it because that tends to hold a little bit more water and it keeps it from drying out too fast. Check, but check the bottom of the trays. Make sure that the surface does go down to a level three um, and that you make sure that the surface wets back up to a level four um, until the true leaf expands, until you start seeing the little um, green above there and then start going even um, do four to twos. Avoid stress. Now, Bill mentioned that they have um, done a great job in cleaning these up, but there are some viruses that do express themselves um, if the plants are stressed. And we actually have an at-risk crops for canna um, webinar available for those people who are into canna that you probably should um, review just to remind yourself of what you can and can't do. Um, get that fertilizer on them right away. Remember, this is about a leafy product. So when we want big leaves, we want to make sure that we've got ammonia and phosphorus going to it. This is a fairly heavy, the more you feed, the bigger the plant is. It's kind of like corn. Um, you know, the more you feed, the higher the yield. The more you feed, the bigger the plant. Now, here's the downside of this, is that you can get really big plants that just aren't shippable. Mm -hmm. So what do you do about that? How do you keep plants short, Bill? Well, you can do it environmentally or you can use PGRs. Well, environmental on these really fails. They're marginally effective to diff, but growth regulators are your solution. Now, this is where it's really important to understand something. A lot of times people do B9 and bonsai because that's their growth regulators um, of choice. In monocots, they don't work unless you go to really, really high, and of course high means expensive, rates. Uh -huh. Uniconazole or Encimidol, which are of course sold as um, Sumagic Concise, is Uniconazole, and um, then um, Abide and Arest are um, Encimidol. So there's a lot, of, you know, there's different, um, but either one of those growth regulators as a drench applied at about the stage that you see here in, on this picture will help get the keep the plants um, more short and compact. So that basically that first true leaf that comes out just kind of hangs right on the soil line and then the next leaves come out. And if you uh, treat it in the plug stage, then when you transplant it and start pushing feed to them, then they basically will grow out of it and they will get to be a good size. So do play around with um, rates and volumes that you apply to kind of um, dial in your ideal rate for your growing conditions because the more water you put on, the more feed you put on, the more vigorous they grow, the more growth regulator you have to apply. So you do have to play around with it a little bit, but just be aware that you need to either use uniconazole or encimidol um, to control these, which is really different than just about any other crop that we deal with in the bedding plant world. So just keep that in mind um, when you're looking at um, anytime you deal with a monocot, um, you really want to be grabbing those growth regulators versus using your um, tried and true um, B9 or um, bonsai. Does that make sense, Bill? It does. It does. And for the for the listeners and viewers, I told you you had to pay attention all the way to the end because that is going to be critical as you finish this crop. Yeah. So 
For more information, of course, um, Bill, you want to talk about Tech On Demand? Absolutely. I love that you always put this slide in because it's uh, one of the things that we really hang our hat on is providing multimedia resources. We have a weekly newsletter from Tech On Demand where we talk about many timely topics, tips and tricks, share all the videos and podcasts and everything that we're creating as a team. Uh, videos can be found on the Ball Seed YouTube channel. Uh, we get a lot of views on a lot of different videos. There's probably more than 150 up there now. Podcast. More than 100 episodes to go back in the archives and listen to, covering a wide range of topics, all intended to help you grow your best crops ever. We have a Facebook group, sort of a peer-to-peer -peer community on Facebook, and it's a private group. So if you search Greenhouse Tech Team, uh, find the group, request membership, and I will let you in as soon as I possibly can. And one thing I don't want to forget is the Ball Seed LinkedIn channel. And we have more, uh, just about 10,000 uh, members of that at this point. And that's really where we're sharing your up-to-date, almost daily posts of technical tips. It's really become a go-to place for the industry. And I do want to remind you to subscribe to the Tech On Demand podcast on your favorite app. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google, just about anywhere else you can find your podcasts. And uh, that way you'll never miss an episode. But thank you very much, Will for continuing this series of crop-specific uh, tips for germinating and getting all these uh, seed crops off to a great start. I think that Canna's was a, was a fantastic one to approach. You're right. They are absolutely beautiful, very trendy, being used in landscapes now with the availability of the four-inch pots and also in the centerpiece and mixed containers. I always plant Canna's just like you. I love the tropical look. I love the, some of the variegated foliage. All the different bloom colors. Uh, Canova's really been a, a game changer in my garden, and I know for a lot of folks. So, Will, thank you so much for taking the time to, to run through this crop with us.